Hi again, everyone, and welcome back to Medicaid Leadership Exchange, our podcast series that explores priority topics um, identified by Medicaid leaders. My name is Hillary Kennedy, and I'm the Program Director for Medicaid Leadership at the National Association of Medicaid Directors, otherwise known as NAMD. NAMD is working on this podcast series with the Center for Healthcare Strategies, and it's made possible uh, by support from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. We're continuing to feature conversations between Medicaid directors and some members of their executive teams as they share insights and strategies on a variety of key topics. And today we're focusing on some cross-agency collaboration with child welfare agencies. I'd like to introduce the moderator for today's session, uh, Gretchen Hammer. Gretchen is NAMD's inaugural senior strategic advisor in a role in which she works with states in a variety of ways to support their strategic planning and operational goals for their agencies. Gretchen uh, recently was a Medicaid director in Colorado and also served on the NAMD Board of Directors. So with that, I'll turn it over to Gretchen to say a few words and welcome today's conversation participants. Gretchen? Terrific. Thank you very much, Hillary. Uh, as Hillary mentioned, my name is Gretchen Hammer, and I'm pleased to be the moderator for the conversation today on this critical topic of serving youth who are in the foster care system and the opportunity to build relationships between state agencies to ensure that we do that work well. We are pleased to have Cindy Bean from the West Virginia Medicaid Program and Carol Steckel from Kentucky to join us to share about their experiences in this area of work. In addition, Mark Larson from the Center for Healthcare Strategies has also joined us and will be uh, also participating in the conversation as we move forward. Carol, Cindy, Mark, would you all go ahead and introduce yourself? Certainly. I'm Carol Steckel and I'm the Medicaid Commissioner in Kentucky. Hi, I'm Cindy Bean. I'm the Medicaid Commissioner here in West Virginia, and I've been in this role um, for about four and a half years and been with West Virginia Medicaid for a number of years before that. Hi, I'm Mark Larson uh, with the Center for Healthcare Strategies and formerly Medicaid Director from the state of Vermont. Wonderful. Well, thank you all very much. Let's go ahead and dive right in. In 2016, there were more than 437,000 children in the foster care system across the nation. And after many years of decline, that number has been rising since about 2012 because of the many impacts of substance use disorder and in particular the opioid epidemic. Because nearly all children in the foster care system are enrolled in Medicaid, there are clear opportunities to ensure the health and well-being of children through strong collaboration between Medicaid and child welfare agencies in the states. In addition, in 2018, the Family First Prevention Services Act was passed, creating a historic overhaul of the foster care system by focusing programs and resources towards prevention and maintaining children with their families instead of in non-family group care. So today what we want to explore with Carol and Cindy is how their states have forged partnerships between the Medicaid program and the Child Welfare Agency and responded to the needs of families in each of their states. Mark will also have the opportunity to share experiences from the state of Vermont, as well as sort of pull out the themes from our conversation as we go towards wrap-up near the end of the podcast. But maybe just to start off, I 
don't know, uh, Cindy, if you could start it off and just talk a little bit about the kind of things you have been doing to build a strong relationship with your child welfare agency in the state of West Virginia. So, yeah, the state of West Virginia, um, much like Gretchen just explained, um, we also saw a significant rise in our foster care population um, over the last three to four years, um, a, a doubling um, in, in some instances, and in addition, a lot more reliance on uh, congregate care and um, and with seeing that, seeing the congregate care and multiple placements for some of these children, we really um, were in kind of a child welfare crisis. And what we did to really bring Medicaid and our Bureau for Children and Families together, we are under an umbrella agency of DHHR, so it was a little bit easier for us, but we started meeting on a regular basis. And as Family First came out and different things came out, we definitely made sure we were all at the table. But one thing as the Medicaid director and, and that I did to really help facilitate that from, from top level down, I had certain staff that were really assigned to be our liaison staff and go to not only the, the meetings that were directed towards Medicaid, but go to um, the child welfare meetings and the Bureau for Children and Family meetings so they can make those connections with the line level staff and start learning the language that they speak compared to the language that Medicaid speaks. Sometimes we're all saying the same thing. Um, what we consider case management at, from a Medicaid perspective is sometimes is what um, a child welfare staff would consider a wraparound worker. And so really kind of learning our different languages, how we're doing, how we're saying the same things, and what the barriers are with regards to what child welfare and their, their regulations are allowed to pay for in order to help that child and keep that family intact, and what Medicaid's allowed to do on the medical necessity side. So really getting to know each other from that line level up has helped tremendously. Terrific. Carol, do you have anything to add to that notion of how you in Kentucky have tried to build strong relationships between Medicaid and the Child Welfare Agency? Well, and we we are very, I would like to say ditto to everything that Cindy said, and we're an umbrella agency also. In addition, the agency that houses our Child Welfare Agency does our eligibility. So we already had that kind of relationship where we worked together and, and policy discussions occurred. But I think one of the critical things that Cindy pointed out was the line staff. It can't just be commissioner to commissioner, deputy to deputy. You really have to make sure that on down the line, where appropriate people are talking to each other, to, as she said, to learn the language and to understand. And part of it is you're almost teaching them about Medicaid as much as they're teaching you about child welfare and how the programs can complement each other. Yes, I think that that's right. I will share that uh, through a project that NAMD and CHCS are doing together around aligning early childhood and Medicaid, I tried to read the Family First 
Services Prevention Act, and I found it very challenging. Um, and I, I imagine that that's what child welfare serving folks feel when they try and read Medicaid uh, rules and regulations and statutes. You know, we are able to navigate that world because that's what we do on the daily basis. But I found it uh, very challenging to, to navigate that other language and that other approach to the regulatory frameworks, et cetera. So I think you're right that you all have pulled out this notion of even basic language and translation, and then really seeing each other as staff, um, as guides, right? Your staff can guide through the Medicaid program, and you need relationships and partnerships to help your staff get guided through all of the different components of uh, human services and child welfare. So getting a little more specific on the areas where you have found opportunity for partnership, have either of you, does anything come to mind for either of you of very specific areas where you changed something within Medicaid or you tried to align a program or a set of services that really were designed to better meet the needs of families in your state, leveraging both Medicaid and uh, the components of the child welfare system? So for, for West Virginia, a, a couple things that we're doing, our, our foster care population currently is not in our managed care environment. We are in the process of moving them into our managed care environment. But at the same time, um, we did a lot of research and looking at other states and um, what are the positives and, and negatives that they found. Um, not only from their Medicaid staff, but listening to their child welfare staff in those other states of how they felt about managed care and how they felt it was working for their foster care population. And one of the things that, that we found was, um, you know, the, getting the care coordination on the medical side and all, uh, and, and all of the benefits that come with managed care were really good and positive, but sometimes there would be socially necessary services that were typically paid for by your um, child welfare agency that were still kind of outside of that, that whole continuum of care for that child. And so what we're doing, and we've worked very, very closely with um, not only our child welfare agency, our Bureau for Children and Family here in West Virginia, but also with the Administration for Children and Families at the federal level, so our MCO will not only manage the the Medicaid, the CMS side of of that child, but also the socially necessary services. So so they will really have that full gamut of service and able to keep that child in that placement um, effective. And so they're not going to a congregate care or having the child that's in congregate care placed in a less restrictive foster care environment, and they'll have those tools of not only those medical services available to them, but also those socially necessary services that are typically paid for from child welfare. Now, I say that in one fell swoop like it's been easy. It's not. <laughs> it is taking um, years of, of meetings, and, um, and uh, we actually had legislation passed here in West Virginia to get it done. But um, it's been a, a, a really large effort and to not only to have the blending, um, the braiding of the funding on the, the state level, but also having the two federal partners agree to the braided funding and having them understand each other's um, piece to it as well. It's been, it's been an interesting undertaking, but I think at the end it will be a really good product because 
you're going to have all of those services at the fingertips of the managed care agency to make sure that the, the child gets everything that they need. Terrific. And Cindy, as you guys have thought about that after years of getting all of the federal pieces aligned, are you asking your managed care plans to bring on a different kind of case management staff or putting any extra sort of considerations in the contract to ensure that they are um, able and ready to take on those socially necessary services? So absolutely. So we did a, a specific specialized procurement for it, um, and because it is a unique population, we didn't want it spread out amongst all of our MCOs. We wanted it to, to be a, a specialized procurement. So one MCO will manage um, all the all of our foster care children, in addition to all of our children that qualify for our um, severe emotional disturbance waiver as well, and so. Um, so they'll have actually an increased presence. Um, it has basically that award should be announced soon, so I can't say on this podcast who the entity is, but it's imminent. And so um, so the, the, I can say every, um, every MCA that bid on the contract did have the additional care management and the additional requirements that we put in there to make sure that they had that specialized look at not only understanding the medical side, but understanding the, the socially necessary side of services as well. Terrific. Thank you. Carol, do you have any um, specific examples or thoughts around where you've really tried to align Medicaid and uh, child welfare services in Kentucky? Well, and we recently went through that same exercise. Our RFP for our, our new managed care contracts is still being evaluated. So like Cindy, I'm not able to say too terribly much. But all of our foster kids were in managed care. So they would be in one of five managed care plans. And as you can imagine, just the, the frustration of moving from one plane to the next. So we, in our new procurement, did create a, a sub-procurement in that process where only one company will manage the, the foster kids with the same, and, and the amount of work that went into developing that component of the RFP with our DCBS, our Child Welfare Agency, was incredible because we wanted to make sure, again, the different languages that we speak, the different um, efforts that we're making, we wanted to make sure that we were trying to be at the state-of-the-art for foster kids within a state-of-the-art Medicaid-managed care program. Um, and, and we're very pleased with how that discussion happened. We're also working on how do we make sure that the programs are aligned correctly, that we're being as efficient as possible. So there's a lot of discussion going on now about that type of, of effort. 
Terrific. Thank you. So those are two great examples of where you have um, made programmatic alignments. Maybe now turning to the flip side of partnership, which can be places where partnerships can sometimes struggle. Um, and again, this isn't in the vein of, of one of the agencies doing anything wrong, but just as you all have gone on this journey of trying to build this strong relationship, where have there been times where it wasn't working very well or you needed to stop and take a step back and reset, you know, have there been particular areas or particular issues that have come up that have made the, the conversations a little more difficult? I think you're in West Virginia. I think, I think the issues that we had are, remember at the beginning of the conversation I was talking about the line level staff. Well, a lot of your CPS workers are, are they're all over the state. They're, and so when we started getting a lot of press about what we were doing with managed care and, and because there was definitely some advocacy, even though we brought advocates in and met with them, that were, and they are still very concerned about managed care managing this population. And there was lots of confusion about what a managed care care manager d does compared to the the child protective service worker compared to the maybe the wraparound case 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 worker that's out in the community, and so there was lots of um, I guess confusion and consternation around. Well, that you know we're giving a, a company X millions of dollars and they're going to take our jobs or or they're going to try to replace us and and really getting out the message quickly exactly what you're doing and messaging effectively um, could have probably helped some of that um, early on um, because I think sometimes we forget to, we're so busy communicating to everyone else, sometimes we forget to communicate to basically the worker in the trenches who's doing the work and how is this going to really affect my job. So that's a conflict that I think we had. I think we've been able to overcome it, but I think it's something that we probably could have done a better job in the beginning of making sure it was being really communicated out through all of our counties a lot better. Terrific. Thanks. Carol, go ahead. I was just saying, I think the other thing, too, is you have to create an environment from the top down that it's, it is safe. We call it culture of safety here in our cabinet, but where everyone should feel comfortable raising issues talking about issues, and when you're having these discussions between the two agencies, it's okay to disagree, and you can do it respectfully, but if you don't have that disagreement discussion, you're never going to break through to solve the ultimate problem. And so we, we've spent a lot of time trying to get people comfortable with saying, you know, it, the difference between your idea isn't good versus, well, let's figure out what, what, of you, what you just put on the table would work for us and what wouldn't and why. And so it's changing the tone of the discussion so that positive outcomes can occur. Terrific. That's, that's good advice for life in general, I would say, Carol, so thank you. Um, <laughs> as you all, as we move to wrapping up our conversation here, um, you know, and, and as all of the states across the nation are facing implementation of the Family First uh, Act, 
you know, what, what advice or pearl of wisdom would you give to fellow Medicaid directors and senior staff around how to do this work effectively and, and with great outcomes for kids and families? What, what advice would you offer um, as people either start this or get involved in the Family First implementation work in their state? I think what you can do for the Family First is, is where, um, so when Family First first came out, you know, we were, uh, we looked at it here, and I was like, "This is, this is child welfare's equivalent of the ACA." I mean, it's it's such a seed change for them, and it's such a great change that they're going to be able to focus on prevention, which before you really couldn't. And so, really capturing what can you do to help them with that prevention piece. So I know, like one of the things that we did here was we commissioned a, a study and started working with our public health agency and our behavioral health agency and we have a prevention study that is really targeting on um, kind of working backwards where were these children where did they come from and can we target some of these families um, you know upstream and so they are not hitting the child welfare system so I think anything like that and, and since they actually have dollars to really look at prevention is something a state could really do and then really understanding that this the change is, I think, very new to your Bureau for Children and Families or whatever your equivalent bureau is, and offering them maybe some of those tools that you use. So we used heavy project management when we were going through expansion in the ACA, and if your child welfare system hasn't um, utilized project management before or outside vendor, really offering those tools that, that state Medicaid agencies use quite a bit, I think that would be helpful. And then um, really offering them those other partnerships where you've already kind of done some of these steps and here's what our experience was with it and if you want to look at this or how we did this and sharing those tools and tips with them, I know that that has helped us in our relationship with our child welfare system. Uh, Terrific. Carol, go ahead. Okay, I'm sorry. I just jumped in. This is a good discussion. Um, you know, I think it's also important because so many times Medicaid is the lead agency in most of these efforts, and, and you find out mainly because of our budgets and our, our financing, you, you find that we're the leaders and that we're taking charge and we're coming in and, and at least directing the meetings. On the Family First, it's a time for us to listen to our peers and hear what they're saying. In this case, they're the experts, and they're the ones that are having to figure out. I, I like the ACE um, analogy, that a total transformation of what they've always done before. And we've been there, done that. And so rather than, you know, it taking over the project, being able to help them, as Cindy said, here's, here's some tools that we use. What can we do to help you? Help us understand what you're having to do and, and being much more in a listening, learning phase and then offering suggestions. Fantastic. The, those are great and, you know, in Sometimes after these podcasts, we write up a little memo, and I think those final pieces right there feel like something that we should share globally across the country with all of our Medicaid colleagues. Mark, I'll turn it over to you to provide some final thoughts and reflections on the conversation. I really appreciate 
the stories and thoughtfulness, Cindy and Carol, uh, what really stands out to me, uh, when we talk about foster children, I don't think there's a population that we serve that we have more of a moral obligation and also a financial responsibility to serve well. And you've talked about a number of different innovations in how you've developed new care delivery systems and models, uh, working with your partners in child welfare. Uh, and what is particularly consistent, it seems, is how rooted all of that advancement is in the, the fundamental aspect of building trusting relationships. Uh, you've talked about the, you know, Cindy, you started with the developing shared language. Um, and you've, you've both talked about sort of the putting in the time to figure out what does Medicaid have to offer and uh, where are times where you have to sit back and learn and listen. Uh, but ultimately, Carol, I loved your term about building the culture of safety because it seems like any opportunity to really make a big advancement in serving this population are gonna come by developing that, that trust. And I really appreciate how both of you have highlighted some of the really important steps to getting to that relationship where you really can work as partners in service of a population that really needs our help. Thank you for, for all of that. Terrific. Yes, thank you, Mark. I, I agree. Um, this conversation has been heartening in that way, so I appreciate that. Hillary, I'll turn it over to you, but first I want to extend my thanks to Cindy and to Carol for sharing your wisdom with us um, and hope that you know other Medicaid directors and staff who are listening to this podcast uh, will come up with ideas and share them with Hillary so that we can continue to build um, our collective knowledge of all of the areas where Medicaid directors are working. So, Hillary, I'll turn it over to you. Thanks, Gretchen, and thank you everyone for the conversation. Um, Carol, I too will take your note of changing the, the tenor of conversations and the tone to sort of find a more common um, commonality across folks into my personal life as well as my professional life. So that goes with some far-reaching advice for everyone. Um, and I hope that everyone who's listened is finding these valuable and to please subscribe to the podcast uh, which are called Medicaid Leadership Exchange. They're on the Apple Podcast Store, or you can keep an eye out for them when we post them to the NAMD and CHCS websites. Um, so we look forward to continuing these conversations and addressing some other key priority topics um, for Medicaid directors and their staff. So with that, I'll say thank you for today and just keep an eye out for the next episode.